Party on, Todd. Party on, Sal. Rock on. Rock on. All right. Welcome back, podcasters, to another episode of the Party on Johncast, a podcast full of most excellent tunes, most excellent beverages, whatever we're drinking, uh, awesome theology, and uh, just general good conversation. So this is uh, one of your hosts, Reverend Sal Sarmarco, an ordained teaching elder in the Presbyterian Church USA in the Presbytery of Newton in the Validated Ministry of Chaplaincy. Ooh, and this is uh, Reverend Todd Laddick. I am a pastor in, I'm an ordained elder of the Greater of the United Methodist Church of Greater New Jersey, serving a uh, congregation in Newton, New Jersey, no longer completely on higher ground than Sal. Sometimes on higher ground than Sal. <laughs> Sometimes, but God's providence went over. <laughs> God's providence gave gave Sal a pass. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So um, awesome. And uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. Absolutely. So I guess this brings us into our Hebrew segment. Hey, Todd. Yeah, Sal. How do you know that God likes coffee? How? Because he had Moses write about it in the book of Hebrews. Ooh. And Moses could have been the uh, author. as opposed to anybody else, because no one knows who really wrote Hebrews. Of course, That's Moses right. would have been quite old if he wrote it. <laughs> <laughs> That's very true. He wrote it from heaven. He inspired Paul to write it or something like that. <laughs> Absolutely. So, uh, Sal, you are drinking something uh, far more interesting than me. So why don't you start? I will. So I am drinking uh, Shiner Bach. Uh, it's from the Spotsol Brewery in Texas, out of Shiner, Texas. Uh, it is technically a microbrew. Um, it's their Bach, which is a, a darker, a darker beer. It's a regular lager type beer, but it's a darker, so they call it a Bach. Um, <clears throat> it's kind of a, a regional beer, kind of like Yingling. Best way I can describe the the taste of Shiner is it's similar uh, to to Yingling. I, I would put it above Yingling in terms of taste. Uh, it's somewhere between Yingling and Sam Adams in terms of taste. Uh, but they do some seasonal seasonal drink beers around the holidays, which are really good, like with, with molasses and pecans and so. Um, but it's one of my favorite. Um, I just got into it. You can get, like Yingling, you can get, I don't know, for those that don't know Yingling, it's a East Coast regional beer. You can only get it on the in the Atlantic States and New England. Yingling, yeah. Um, so I'm not sure about Shiner's distribution, but um, those of you yeah. who haven't had Yingling, though, you are missing something. It is quite good. It is good. Yeah. And like Ying, like Yingling, bleh, obviously I've been drinking one. Uh, like Yingling, you can get a six pack of Shiner, which is technically a craft beer, uh, for about seven dollars, seven or eight dollars. Yeah, can't go wrong. Whereas your most of your craft beer is, you know. 10 12 13 dollars they're snobbish they're for the they're for the elite yep <laughs> so shriner is like your working class craft beer yes so. yes yeah what's up with that elite pricing there i know <laughs> anyway so, um oh so by the I, way i found out that uh your your aunt's uh um pronunciation of pecan versus pecan pecan mm-hmm. uh is actually regional um Depending on where you go in in the re, in the country regionally, uh, depends on how you pronounce that. Okay, kind of like tomato, actually, tomato. Tomato. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna correct you on that because technically that was my ex mother in law. Oh, sorry, I said aunt, didn't I? I did. Uh, sorry, aunt, whoever, um, your ex mother in law. Yeah. Yes. So we, for those, want to compare your aunt to your ex mother in law? <laughs> so according then I guess according to that uh, technically according to the Canadians you. You pee in a can and you eat pecans. Yes, yes. Well, uh, that's what Canadians say, eh? Hey, got a boot. We always, no offense to Canada, but we in America always base what we say off of Canadians. That's right. <laughs> and France, of course. And France. <laughs> Try not to speak like those French Canadians. <laughs> By the way, have you eaten your freedom fries lately? I have not. I've been trying oh, to stay away. Uh, 
Peter Bryce. Oh God. <laughs> I have enough freedom already, so thank I you. Went, I went there, didn't I? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I have the freedom to not eat freedom fries or French fries or whatever the hell you want to call That's them. That's right. Take okay. that for <laughs> That's right. That's right. Oh boy. Okay, so um What are you drinking? Oh yes, me. Back back to uh the the issue at hand. So one of, us, um, one of us is being good. Right, right. So I am drinking sparkling Poland spring with a twist of pomegranate lemonade. And if you have not had this, this is one of their most delicious flavors. I love it. And it is, uh, I cracked it open when, when Sal was talking about our podcast and, you know, it being a, uh, um, you know, about, uh, you know, all things theology and what we're drinking. And so I cracked it open there, but, but if you can hear it fizzing, um, it is delicious. So I'm going to have a sip of this right here. And guess what? It tastes just like it says pomegranate lemonade. Nice. There just to, I don't know if you heard that, but just to, for, so I can get my sound in, I opened my next beer. I definitely heard that, and um, so yeah, I've been on a uh, health, a health uh, kick um, since I came back from vacation. I told myself I was gonna kind of take my health back and get get healthier, and um, uh, while uh, you know having an alcoholic beverage was not necessarily the uh, the height of my unhealth, uh, it certainly didn't. <laughs> doesn't help uh it lowers your inhibition and then you eat crazy and stupidly so um basically i'm uh abstaining from that for the time being uh i know boring but i like dry drinks and uh sparkling water is dry so i i'm at least consistent whether i'm uh teetotaling or drinking seltzer is my has been lately my go-to because you can get deals on it at costco and it's so good it's just it's so, so good. good. It's so refreshing. It's bubbly. It gives you that carbonation, but it's just so good. I love it. Yeah. So I uh, I have generally been in a healthier mood, but I figured for tonight, I oh, need to. Yeah, by all means, don't be boring like me. Uh, but uh, so if I'm not, you know, if I'm not uh, sampling anything uh, too too uh, crazy uh, in the near future, it's just because I'm I've lost 11 pounds, so it's paying off. You know, what can I say? I'm not far too far behind you. I've lost about seven. So then we'll awesome. get to that later. Yes. So um I guess then that brings us to our most excellent music segment. We're going to talk about Sal, but not not in the segment, but, you know, not a little segment. bit. Yeah. My so. music is so-so. Uh, At least my my performance of music is so-so. <laughs> okay, so uh, who wants to go first? Well, why don't you go first since I went first for the Hebrews segment. Sounds good. So I am picking for my, um, for my uh, song. I'm picking uh, a song called Dead Flowers uh, by Demon Hunter. I'm not sure if they have an actual video for it or if it's a lyric video, but I will post whatever video they have. Um, But... They have an album upcoming called Songs of Death and Resurrection. It's coming out March 5th, 2021, just, uh, you know, obviously prior to about a month prior to Easter. Mm-hmm. And um, so it's in the it's in the heart of Lent. And uh, the songs are called or the album's called Songs of Death and Resurrection. And it's not like new material. It's like all material that they've done before. There There may be. Uh, there's there may be it looks like all the songs have been done before um so so the song i'm picking off of it is the second track on the album you can sample it now if you have apple music uh they have two two songs out 
Um, the the first one is Dead Flowers, and the second one is I Will Fail You. It's the resurrected resurrected edition. Uh, but Dead Flowers kind of seems like an appropriate song for the time we're in, and so I'll read the lyrics really quick. I feel ashamed with abandon in my heart and on my face. I suffered the blame I would show to you this way. But I'm too late when the sorrow, it breaks them. I will replace them for you. Dead flowers for the torn apart, laid at the grave to heal a broken heart. Let it rain until it floods. Let the sun breathe life once more, reborn. Wish you the same, to walk beside and carry on this flame. To see you again with a radiance of pure and holy name. When the sorrow, it breaks them, I will replace them for you. Dead flowers for the torn apart, laid at the grave to heal a broken heart. Let it rain until it floods. Let the sun breathe life once more, reborn. And then it it, um, it continues. Um, so... Uh, you know, like in this day and age where the whole society seems to be in an upheaval, where we've gone through transition after transition. I mean, we just had um, President Joe Biden take office and the first report we get from him who has been very clear that he's putting the pandemic front and center uh, on in his list of things to get done. And we find out that, you know, the supposed stockpile that was awaiting him to send out uh, that the government was supposedly holding on to. Well, there is no stockpile and it was all a big lie and <laughs> we're in far worse shape than than he, he or anybody else anticipated. And it's, so it's, you know, like we're in this crazy time where where nothing seems right and uh, everything we seem to be holding are dead flowers. Um, and yet there's the hope that even dead flowers can, you know, even from dead flowers, new life can be born, you know, can be reborn and that there's hope, uh, for the broken and for the, uh, the, the broken hearted and those who are torn apart. And I think in the time we're in there, there couldn't be a more powerful lyric, um, for people. So that's kind of the life cycle of nature, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Plants have to die for, to be reborn. So correct. Yeah. So it's a powerful song. Uh, we'll put it in the episode notes. And, nice. uh, so that's my take. That's my uh, pick. Nice. I just added it to my Apple Music, so I'll take a listen. Yay! <laughs> um, did you add the whole album so it just pops there miraculously on March yep. 5th? Yeah. I love that. I did that with the new uh, Love and Death album, too. So it's like, oh, new song pops up. <laughs> yeah, I love it, too. Yep. Cool. Wow. So, so what did you choose, sir? So it kind of goes with our theme, maybe not as directly as your song, Todd, but it goes with the theme of transitions. It also kind of goes through, you know, um, it's been a couple tough transitions. If you've watched the news, this presidential transition wasn't exactly smooth or peaceful. Um, so <clears throat> there's a song by Trip Lee off his 2010 album that I've been listening to. It's called For My Good. Um, uh, he bases it off of Romans 8, 28, I think, um, you know, um, that God will work all good things through those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Um, so that's what the song is based up on. So he starts the song by kind of just talking and he says, you ever feel like stuff just never goes your way, like everything is against you? Well, God never promised he would keep you away from keep me away from all those trials. If I want perfection, I have to wait till later. And I ain't tripping because he has promised that he will work all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Let's praise him for that. And then he goes, it's, uh, it's about that time to let them know how this is how we feel about him. Um, so the first verse is, I know this life may bring pain, a broken heart. I've shed my share of tears, plus I've got loads of scars. I've had my ups and downs, my rises and falls. So sometimes people ask me how I survive it all. I tell them about my Lord. Let's get it understood. 
My king controls it all, and he does it for my good. My my savior bought me, brought me, then he gave me new life. <clears throat> this is in his name. Now that he got me, I know that he'll bring me through the pain. For my good, you did it all for my good. Mm. So, um, yeah, definitely fitting for this time we're in. Yep. Yeah. Well, and it, you know, and I think Tripoli is he's actually ordained as a. Uh, Baptist, Baptist pastor. Um, I wasn't expecting he, him to be Methodist, but <laughs> <laughs> but I think he considers himself. He's on the um, Reach Records, which is Lecrae's um, mm. uh, label, and most of the artists on that are either Reformed or Reformed Baptist. So, mm. kind of fits with my theology to a degree. So. Yeah, and and uh, there's really nothing in that song that would disagree with. Orthodox Christianity as a whole. I mean, it's nope. pretty, pretty, pretty straightforward. Pretty straightforward. Yeah. Simple orthodoxy. Yeah. Cool. So that's my song. So we'll link it to the to the notes. Absolutely. Uh, send send over a, a video or or whatnot of the song, and it will be posted. It shall be posted. It shall be posted. So uh, I guess that that brings us to the end of our most excellent music segment. Uh, and that leads us into our main topic for today, um, which we're going to start off. We're talking about uh, uh, ultimately about different transitions that that we've been through. But but we're going to start off with uh, Sal and a transition uh, he has uh, been going through. And then we'll get to uh, the theological end of end of things. But let Sal, why don't you lead us into uh, your transition in life sure we'll get into gracious transitions in a minute but let's go over my transition mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> i think it was gracious i hope it, it was gracious it was gracious yeah it was gracious um so i mentioned briefly at the end of the last episode that uh, uh when you heard it i would no longer be the chaplain at that place <laughs> that i used to work at um nursing nursing home slash continuing care retirement facility um I did take a job um, with a hospice company. Um, <clears throat> it's a it's a company that's been around for a while. Um, they had some. It's part of a na- national uh, company. Um, I was hired by their regional company for New Jersey. Um, they're a growing company uh, in terms of um, they've been around for a while, but they've had some some legal and financial setbacks in the past. So they are essentially uh, rebuilding themselves. They uh, had to cut a lot of staff, eventually got bought out by venture capitalists and then sold to another hospice company. So the current owner uh, is a nationwide company uh, who are aggressively growing in New Jersey. So um so I'm doing hospice, which, which is a bit of a change from what I was doing. I was doing senior living chaplaincy, which has a lot of overlap with hospice because you would, as you'd imagine, um, a lot of my residents in my former life uh, ended their life on hospice. Uh, so I had an understanding of what hospice was and a lot of the overlap in pastoral care is the same. Um, in terms of what we do as chaplains, um, the only difference is uh, <clears throat> hospice chaplaincy um, is the only chaplaincy that is mandated. Um, what I mean by that is uh, most most uh, facilities or hospitals or secular organizations um, aren't required to have chaplaincy. Um, it's a luxury to have chaplaincy. Now, now, obviously, a lot of large, large hospital systems, a large, lot of large healthcare systems will have chaplains because they see it as it's been proven to be beneficial. They're not required to have chaplains, so often during financial difficulty, chaplains are the first to go because they're the hardest to uh, prove that you need clinically. Um, but in terms of hospice, because hospice is run and paid for by Medicare, that damn socialist healthcare. How dare they? How dare they? <laughs> but Medicare, CMS, 
actually mandates that hospice has a chaplain on staff. Do you mean to tell me that socialist uh, health care actually recognizes the need for theological clergy, clergy, you know, clergy support? They, they understand the need for spiritual support. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's a myth busted. <laughs> there's a myth busted. Take that, <laughs> communist. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> um, so, obviously, um, when I, I've been looking to get out of my position at that place oh, for a while, uh, for the last about year and a half, went on this interview, uh, just randomly submitted my resume because I was like, you know what? I just need to keep putting out my resume. Put out my resume. Thought nothing of it. Got an email back from a chaplain that um, who was a student when I was a per diem chaplain in New York City. And he remembered how much he had learned from me. I was like, uh, okay. But regardless, he, he remembered me. He knew how much I had helped him through the CPE experience. Uh, so he, uh, we did an interview. This is back in the beginning of December. Um, went to, he, he said, Hey, come here. We'll, we'll have a chat at two 30, come early. Um, around two o'clock, we can sit and catch up. Got there a little after two o'clock and, uh, he pretty much said, Hey, listen, um, I know your character. I know your work as a chaplain. Um, I have five, five other candidates. Um, I'm not scheduling interviews with any of them. Uh, the job is yours if you want it. I said, uh, let's do the interview first. <laughs> so we did the interview. I was flattered. He said, obviously it's, it's told me the number for the salary. Um, I was like, Oh, okay. So did the, did the actual interview felt very comfortable. Uh, it felt like a place that really valued their chaplains. Uh, there's room for growth. Uh, he's retiring soon. So there's a chance to take his position in advance. They offered me well over $5,000 more than I was making. Uh, so Which would I, be in the millions of dollars. Millions right? of dollars, yeah, yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. Not to brag. Damn you, communism. <laughs> so I, I, that's that's where all the uh, the Medicare, <laughs> the whole <laughs> Medicare expenses go to your salary. They go to my salary. <laughs> um, well, and that's the difference between nonprofit chaplaincy and hospices because it's funded by the government, they can afford to pay me more. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was well over 5,000 more than I was making. So I, you know, you know, had to like not show my cards and say, well, let me, let me go home and talk to my wife about it. <clears throat> I walked out the building and say, yep, I'm taking it. Uh, <clears throat> next morning I went in and sat down with my boss at the facility and said, uh, yep, I'm resigning. Uh, I'm giving you a month. And this is before I had even called to confirm that I was taking the job with the other company and then called them and said, Hey, I'm taking the job. And they were like, awesome. Glad we're going to fit right in. So needless to say, I resigned December 4th and I started January 4th. Um, so that gave me some time to, as we're going to talk about transition out of my position. Uh, which is really just about saying goodbye and ending, <clears throat> ending some of my long-term relationships. Yeah. Um, and I think it was overall a gracious um, transition. The, the, the thing that kind of complicates it, not that it really complicates it, but um, it was hired to cover three counties in New Jersey, Morris County, Sussex <laughs> County, I'm laughing. Sorry. That was my inner laugh, but it came out. So, so basically um, it couldn't be a full break from my former community because I now cover that community as a hospice chaplain. Um, and within two days of starting, I had a patient at my former place of employment. So, um, <laughs> Oh, sorry. That came out again. <laughs> um, <laughs> which meant that in that moment, I was still on higher ground than you. That's right. Well, you know, God has a sense of humor. Damn you, Calvin. <laughs> That's not Calvin's fault. Uh, uh, no, technically not Calvin's fault at all. Um, he can't help if he's right. 
Um, so, and because of no fault of my own, there was some hiccups with my transition. So my end date actually came out later than I thought. <laughs> that was the uh, less graceful part of your transition. That was the less graceful. <laughs> uh, so I was supposed to end the 1st of January. I ended up ending the 2nd of January. Uh, but it worked to my advantage because I got to get two doses of the COVID vaccine via my former employee, employer. So... So, yeah. So where, where some grace drops, more grace is found. (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Well, rock on. Yeah. Rock on. Not, not so graceful. And I, I left there with a rather um, heated email to senior leadership in the company saying, essentially, this is a crock of bullshit. (laughs) Um, And if, if you're hearing that from your fucking chaplain, you're in deep doo-doo yeah that's true if you're if your chaplain is telling you that the the, the ship is all but sunk <laughs> you might want to open your eyes but you know um but but as far as the local community is i left on good terms i have good relationships with some of the key people that i need to have good relationships with the director the social worker i left yeah. on good terms so and really with the company as a whole i mean you voiced your your disapproval of some of the things going on, but you did nothing to warrant, you know, being looked at in an unfavorable way. You've always been a loyal and faithful chaplain there. And uh, I'm sure they appreciated your years of service and they may not have liked uh, your, this is bullshit email, but that's not leaving on bad terms. That's just voicing what's going on. That's actually doing your job before you leave your job. job. (laughs) Truth to power, but you know, yeah, not always the best, but, so yeah, it's been a good transition. As I mentioned before, I have lost weight because um, I jokingly put on Twitter that I it's been two and a half, well, at the time it was two and a half weeks from transitioning and I have been eating better and I've lost weight because I uh, I am less stressed. And it was like, I was, I'm like, geez, I think I was in a, uh, not a good dynamic. <laughs> in an unhealthy situation. Yeah. Well, I've, I've left <laughs> an unhealthy situation for a healthier situation, and uh, my my health has benefited from it. I've lost weight. Uh, I'm eating better. Um, you wouldn't think about what I'm drinking for the podcast, but I'm drinking less. Well, you're doing that for, for leisure tonight. Um, so there's a difference between having a leisurely drink and uh, – <laughs> And needing to calm the nerves down. (laughs) Right. Um, So, well, awesome. And uh, that is a a good thing that you have found a place where you're fitting in, where you can still, um, you know, fulfill the call that you have to chaplaincy, but uh, do so in a way that's healthier for you. So, bravo. So, and that... What's that? Yay Yay. transitions. Yay transitions, which brings us into uh, a a transition we've all been going through. Um, uh, And we're going to talk about the graceful end of things. We could certainly talk about January 6th and the not-so-peaceful transfer of power that took place between November and uh, Inauguration Day, which was the 16th, right? Uh, No, the 12th. No, the 20. The 20th. It was the 20th. Why am I talking 12th? Uh, I'm thinking, I was thinking it's a week after, but it was actually a week after the week after <laughs> the riot. Um, yeah, so the 20th. Um, so Inauguration Day, people look at it as like, oh, look, once again, America has shown the world that it can have a peaceful transfer of power because we held an event where there was no riot. Uh, unfortunately, um, Two weeks earlier. Yeah, the riot was two weeks earlier. Yeah, there was a riot. And it's hard to call a riot trying to overturn uh, millions upon millions upon millions of people's, you know, um, votes, um, you know, in the electoral college votes, uh, you know, peaceful. It just wasn't it. We did not this this time around. And hopefully it's the last time around. uh, We did not have a peaceful transfer of power. Group of people actually sought to 
undo the will of the American people because they were pissed off that their guy didn't win. Yeah, yeah, and and more than more than that, they were pissed off that he didn't win. Still, they had been fed lies, lies and, by. And the top the most top person in the government let's just call him for who he is uh donald j trump uh and uh many people like ted cruz and josh hawley and uh just countless other people um 130 140 other uh, uh republicans that that even after the riot decided to vote to overturn the results to stop the results and to uncertify the results to be fair i guess is what they were trying to do but like the point being is that um there those people really 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 believed that the election was stolen even though it went through it was even though we had a fair uh, one of the fairest and most secure elections ever despite the crazy rule changes and stuff like that and um and despite the fact that 60 courts adjudicated that and found it laughable 30 30 plus lawsuits that were (laughs) yeah yeah 30 lawsuits tossed out um in the middle of a pandemic which i think really is what caused the whole it was the most voted it was the most turnout for us yeah presidential election i think because of the well, because people didn't have to leave home to, to send in their ballots so why not send it in you know a lot of people will avoid going to you know, vote just for whatever reason. Um, it's hard to be lazy and not vote when all you have to do is fill out a piece of paper and mail it in. <laughs> you know? So, so there was, you know, and 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 the Republicans that were standing against this, some of the states, um, like Pennsylvania, Michigan, Arizona, Georgia. Uh, they were doing so because there were certain, especially in Pennsylvania, there were rule changes that were made that they said were unconstitutional. But every court it went to, every lawsuit that was filed was found to be uh, without merit and tossed right out of court. It, it even went to the Supreme Court, which has a majority Republican on it, and they laughed it out of court. <laughs> So, <laughs> appointed by the said president. Yes, three of them appointed by the the former president. So, um, unfortunately, people really just you know didn't trust, didn't believe government. Uh, figured that the fix was in, even if it were Republicans. Uh, and actually, in uh, Arizona, I'm not sure about Arizona, but definitely Georgia. You're talking about a completely Republican government overseeing the election, and yet it wasn't good enough. It was still rigged. <laughs> so, you know, to these people. So anyway, the point is, is hopes got high that that somebody was going to win. They didn't win. They thought it was rigged. They thought the Constitution was being trampled over. And so, how do you, in a constitutional system, overturn that? Well, you riot, of course, because there's nothing more constitutional and more democratic than storming the capital and right. trying to take away oh, yeah. <laughs> democracy so and somehow i mean peace peaceful protest is a, is a linchpin of our democracy but mm-hmm. not not insurrection and storming the national capitol building to disrupt our correct. democracy correct and <clears throat> a lot of people um blamed the the democrats especially on on the donald trump side tried to blame the democrats for doing the same thing when he was elected that you know like from the moment he took office they were trying to impeach him which is not actually true when you go back i mean yes there were some who wanted to impeach him and nancy pelosi said no 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 there are plenty of people who who poo-pooed the idea of impeaching him until he did something impeachable um three years for him to do something impeachable right like they didn't impeach him on day one yes they 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 held a a uh you know they had Mueller uh look into collusion with Russia but actually that was not started by the Democrats was it no it was started by the Republicans (laughs) it was started by the Republicans right so uh, there's a lot of like truth twisting that that um got, has been done along the way to make it look like the same thing happened to Donald Trump but i can tell you as much as there were a many people who would have loved in their heart of hearts to overturn the election in 2016 they didn't you know uh, not even hillary um who hillary, hillary conceded within what 
couple a couple hours. A couple hours, yeah. Within Whereas, a couple hours, yeah. And, and even with that, and just and part of the problem with January sixth is that it was soaked by a guy, Donald J. Trump, the Cheeto in chief, who even from January twenty seventeen, when he legitimately won the election, lied and said it was rigged. For four years, he told his base that the election was rigged, and yet he won. But somehow it was rigged by the Democrats and the, and the Russian hoax. So you have this base. Now, I, now, granted, you can't lump all Republicans in there, but no, you can't. You have a very large base of his supporters who um, would rather listen to the guy who tells it like it is and listen to lies than to actually understand that we have a process in this country that works um right right and i know that before we go any further talking about grace because we haven't gotten into the gracious transition part but before we go any further there are going to be people out there who might be shocked like oh my god these are pastors and chaplains talking about politics let's talk about that for a little bit yes let's talk um there is this weird dynamic in America where you could be a corporation executive, you could be a Christian who attends a church, you could be anything you want to be and and be a blowhard for your political views. And we see them all over Facebook, all over Twitter. We hear them at our family dinner tables, right? Like, if you need to say it, you can say it. But otherwise, uh, you know, like, but then there's this caveat. But if you are clergy... Right. And I've had I've had this happen in family. If you're a clergy, you're not allowed to tell me what you think because you're clergy. Yep. Stick to preaching religion, Reverend. Yeah, stick to preaching re- religion, Reverend. You don't have a say over what happens to your country. No. <laughs> so um and I'm not exactly sure where or when this fully cropped up because it, it in the 17, 18, and even parts of the 1900s, clergy were very active politically. If you look at the history of, especially within reform tradition, if you look at some of the history of, especially in this country, yeah, some of the strongest proponents of the rebellion were, were yeah. pastors, Presbyterian pastors, because it was because of the link of religious freedom to our Same government thing. and historically speaking so were methodist uh, pastors on the this side of the great lake uh, that is called the atlantic ocean uh wesley didn't so much like it because he was uh, subject to the king but uh when you look at asbury and coke and others uh they they very much embraced <laughs> the american revolution they knew it was going to happen and when they won when when the the americans won uh, between the Presbyterians and the Methodists, you can't find two more uh, deno- two denominations that were more influential in the not only not only in the support of America, but in the crafting of America. I mean, you had Benjamin Franklin, who was a, prop- a big uh, proponent of um, of uh, uh, what's his name um, um, Whitfield. And George Whitfield, and George Whitfield, of course, was not just a presbyter, not Presbyterian, not just a Reformed minister, but he was also a Methodist. So there's in one person the embodiment of both denominations. <laughs> so um, the only the only clergy to sign the Declaration of Independence was uh, Witherspoon. Yeah, Witherspoon. Yep. Who was a Presbyterian pastor and uh, former. Yep. And uh, uh, also, uh, you know, the Methodists were very much involved. Uh, in fact, uh, during the Civil War, uh, the uh, Bishop uh, Simpson at the time was very much connected to Abraham Lincoln, and yeah. there were uh, Methodist, you know, generals and soldiers who, um, when when we started to go down into the South uh, during the Reconstruction, right after uh, we won the Civil War, uh, even before Lincoln. Uh, 
maybe even before the reconstruction, but before Lincoln definitely was assassinated, we would go down and uh, take over some of those United Methodist Episcopal Church South churches and claim them for the North, you know, with military. So, so uh, once Lincoln found that out, uh, he put an end to that. But but I mean, we're talking about we're talking about um, uh, people that were very much not only steeped in God and religion, but were also steeped in their country and the politics of the time. And uh, it, consequently, the you know, the main um, United Me- the United Methodist Church has a building right next to Capitol, the Capitol building on Capitol Hill. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, because it, it it was you know there were many Methodists, many Presbyterians, and 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 since then many more other denominations that have been in the on Capitol Hill and in uh, right. the Senate and Congress and right now that that's make a very important caveat here that doesn't mean that we were founded as a Christian nation correct yes yes it, <clears throat> it means that Christians were involved in the founding of the nation not right. that we are a Christian nation yeah. and I think that's where the confusion comes in because there's this this belief and it started with uh James, uh, was it Madison? I believe it was Madison um, who who wrote in a letter about uh, the separation of church and state. And while that is not necessarily fully written into the Constitution, it has become a precedent that that America has really understood as important that we can't have the state messing up messing up uh, messing around with uh, religious things, and we can't have religious institutions messing around with the government. They have to be separate. Um, and it was Madison who, um, and when we were over the famous Marine Corps song in the shores of Tripoli, we we're over in North Africa. Yeah, Madison was very clear that yes, we are not a we are not a Christian nation. We were founded on principles of Judeo-Christian principles, but we are not in. Christian nation. There's no one religion that the United States endorses um, that is open and free to all, and that that's the principles of America. But nowhere in that did did Madison or anyone else believe that Christians or any other religion couldn't be a part of, you know, the Christian the Christian faith. And so, um, you know, it becomes important for us to to realize that that. Um, that while it's separation of religion, separation of religion, it's not separation from religion. And uh, pastors and clergy uh, are, are like anybody else. They, they live in the world. Uh, they may not be of the world, just like all Christians are not of the world. We live in the world. We live in the countries that we belong to. And um, we... Uh, not only that, but we, um, you know, we, we take part in the, the, the countries and the politics of, of the world we live in. So this idea that, that pastors for some, some reason or other should remain silent and can't weigh in on political matters is silly, not to mention Jesus himself and the apostles and, uh, all Christians throughout all the last two millennia have weighed in on political issues because in political issues, we find, wait, wait for it, moral issues, moral and ethical issues. And it, to think that the very people who are supposed to be teaching you moral and ethical decision-making shouldn't have a, stake in moral and ethical decisions um it's, it's silly yeah to say that political decisions are not moral or ethical um <clears throat> is ridiculous because it's not truthful um, it is every right it's not truthful and while i and i think sal would agree we we, we refrain from voicing uh, in an official capacity voicing our support for one candidate or the other um, that does not mean we're not going to broach upon political issues. And uh, now that the former president is behind me, I have no problem saying, whew, thank God, <laughs> you know, like I was not a supporter of Donald Trump. But that shouldn't be a surprise to people. If you read the Bible, you read the gospel, and then you look at the track record of the former president. Uh, and I've, I've, I don't know about Utah, but I've definitely faced pushback of the very folks who've told me don't stick to preaching the, the religion and don't get into politics are the very people who 
falsely assume that because I'm clergy that I supported Donald J. Trump. Yes. Because because of the politicalized politicized yes. nature of well, if you're a Christian, you fall on the conservative right wing Republican. And that's the problem with the world we live in, where there is no such thing as an expert anymore. And that was certainly the last four years. Experts were frowned upon. Populist opinion was the, the way to go. And in populist opinion and in conservative America, all Christians must be conservative. Right. <laughs> and that's never been the case in American yeah. politics, ever. <laughs> Um, so anyway, that to say, yes, we're talking about politics and, uh, and, um, I'm personally thankful for, uh, president Joe Biden. Now, if you asked me, you know, back last year when it was primary season, that if I was hoping that Joe Biden would be the front runner, probably not. Uh, there, there were plenty of people in the Democratic side of things uh, that I would have uh, – I couldn't say anything about the Republicans because they didn't you know, offer anybody but Trump. But on the Democrat side, you had Amy Klobuchar, Pete Buttigieg, uh, you know, Kamala Harris. Uh, you had a whole slew of, of people that I was interested in looking at. Cory Booker even. You know, like he's done well for, for the state of New Jersey, did well for – for um, Newark when he was the mayor there. I mean, there were plenty of people, qualified people that I thought would have done a good job. Um, and, uh, you know, it happened that Joe Biden won out. And I think looking back on it, he was the person we needed for this this yeah. time period uh, following a Donald Trump. He, he was the most, ironically, he was the most polar opposite of Donald Trump than anyone up on that stage. Right. Um and Kamala Harris really balances him out, and so like I think they make a really really good team. The two of them. I think I think polar opposite, and I think in the, in the terms of what we're going to get into is the graciousness of transitioning. Yeah, I think uh, I know some of my progressive friends would say that his policies and his his way of doing politics is not progressive enough. Of course. Um, but that's also, I think, a part of the problem of the world we live in, where, where everything we want done has to be done now. And that was the Donald Trump way of doing things, too, yeah. which is why I think when you look at like a Bernie Sanders, um, while his policies may be as far away from Donald Trump as uh, you can possibly get. And if you look at policy wise, Bernie Sanders is the polar opposite. When you look at temperament and you look at ideology in terms of we want our way and we I think of Jim Morrison, we want the world and we want it now. You know, like yeah. um that was very much what Donald Trump brought, you know, but just on the opposite opposite side of the spectrum. Joe Biden brings a temperance, um, a wisdom and and a willingness to be gracious and work across aisles. Now there are certain principles he's not going to budge on. And he shouldn't. He's the president. We elected him to be president. We knew what he ran on, and bam, you know that's what he's going to do. But there are a lot of areas where we, where we, there are more things that unite us than divide us, and yet we focus on the things that divide us. And I think Biden recognizes that, and and that's why he upsets progressives, you know, and he upsets the extremist on the right as well, uh, because he is he's temperate. He's temperate, and he has from <clears throat> at least since uh, November has talked of reconciliation and healing and unity. Now, obviously, unity requires repentance and uh, reconciliation, but um, he understands because he is a good, well, I won't say good. <laughs> he is a faithful Catholic, mm -hmm. and there will be Catholics and there will be Reformed folks who say, well, he's, no, he's not because he believes in abortion or he supports abortion, regardless. He is a church-going Catholic who receives communion and follows the the doctrines of his church as best he can in his as personal been excommunicated. Way. <laughs> yep. right. And truth be told, on the abortion issue, when he was recently asked about that, he they asked him, "Well, how can you know? Are, are you a Catholic? Uh, and if so, how do you justify your your you know? How do you what what are your statements on?" On abortion or something to that effect, and his answer was, "I am a faithful member of the Catholic Church." What he was really saying there was, "Listen, 
what I think, what I decide to do for the good of the whole of the country, separate from the church, is one thing. But where I stand in my personal faith and beliefs is with the Catholic Church, and the president is any president has to make decisions that aren't always going to completely line up with their religious beliefs, because again, separation of church and state. So yeah, and I think I think you know the the whole. Historically, if you look back at back at Kennedy, there was a you know, when Kennedy was elected, we were a majority Protestant country. Correct. Yes. And so there was this fear that if we elect a Catholic president, he's going to be more faithful to the Pope than the country, and blah blah blah, yada yada yada. Which proved to be completely untrue. Which proved to be completely true, and I mean, there's still some of that sentiment in the country now. Yep. Um, this is only the second Catholic president we've ever elected. Joe Biden, which is, yeah. you know, how many years later? But if you look at Biden's tone since the election, uh, he has, he can quote scripture from memory. He has constantly, routinely spoken of grace and extending grace to the other side. You know, he, he realizes that the other side of the table has been, um, overtaken by lies and fear-mongering yeah. um, he wants to reunite the country god bless his heart it's gonna be an <laughs> I epic don't envy. <laughs> yep i don't envy him um but also i think um the it's a tall order to do as president but you know i just lost my train of thought um, well well, while you're regaining your train of thought, it's a good segue into what I was thinking. Uh, a good example of what you're talking about is Biden on an igno- ignog- inauguration day. Biden on his inauguration day on the 20th um, uh, of last month. He just said um, he had that morning, uh, as he does before any big event in his life, he goes to mass. That's something that's very important to him. He goes to mass regularly, but he always makes sure he goes to mass before something major is going to happen just to censor himself. And so he went to mass at uh, the Catholic church there in uh, uh, Washington, D.C., which is where uh, Kennedy's funeral was held and, and whatnot. And he brought with him. Senator at the time, Senator Senator Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, and uh, uh, also Kevin McCarthy, uh, the House Majority Leader, and the news were like, "Why would why would he bring them there?" Uh, and of course, their answer went down a completely partisan. Lo- partisan political line and said, well, you know, because he's talking about unity and bringing the nation together, he needs to show that, you know, he's going to work with both sides. And so he invited them to church. And I was thinking to myself, um, no, he brought them to church because he's a faithful Christian. You don't bring your, your enemies to church for no good, you know, like, like just to play political games. He could do that anywhere. He brought them to church because he is a faithful Christian. The people he brought to church are Christians, and he wanted to show Christian love and grace to people he disagrees with because he's, <coughs> he still loves them as brothers in Christ, you know, like that. It's so hard for the the secular world to grasp that kind of graciousness, but Joe Biden, you know, he he that's who he is. That's who he is. I, I think Biden is the epitome of the progressive Christians that the secular world wants, but they don't understand because wait, you're progressive, but you do these traditional christian things you're you're progressive but you're orthodox how does that work (laughs) that's a whole other discussion yes um no and and you know i think joe biden has always been a moderate he's always believed in working with with people he disagrees with because he finds common ground with everybody and 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 so and i think that in his nature comes from his Catholic Christian faith. I mean, that's who he is. And if you look at his, his, his 40, you know, some of the Trump supporters will say, well, he's been in politics for 40 plus years. Well, if you look at his 40 years of public service, it's out of that Catholic faith that he's done public service. Yeah. You also look at, I mean, he was sworn, he was sworn in to Congress after losing his wife and, 
child in he his car crash at the hospital. At the yeah. hospital. <laughs> yeah. And he was going to quit. Yep. He was um, going to quit. And he was asked to just give it six months, and uh, he decided to give it six months, making the commitment that he was going to travel from Washington to Delaware every day that he was needing to be in Washington, which is like I think a two and a half hour, if not longer, uh, train ride. Uh, uh, I'm not sure if it's each way, or I, I don't know. I don't know how long it takes to get there and back, but it's a it's a considerable am, am, amount of traveling. Uh, on his part because he didn't want to give up being, you know, there for his kids. Yep. And he <clears throat> lost an adult child. Um, so he's, yeah. he, he's, and he's leaned on that faith to get him through. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but it's, he, he's kept it private. He's kept the separation of here's my political policies. Here's my spiritual life. Yeah. Um, and no doubt that they inform each other. They do inform each other. There's no doubt about it. Um, but, you know, if, if he's being asked to make a decision for the whole of America, which isn't all Christian, uh, you know, he has to. Uh, that's where, you know, it's tricky. I always say I don't envy politicians on either side because you have to compromise your beliefs at some point, sometimes, you know, like if I'm a president who doesn't like war and Obama will tell you this, uh, sometimes I have to make decisions to, to you know, do air drone strikes on people <laughs> or well, put troops Obama. in harm's way because, you know, that's my job as the president. Right. Obama, who did not like war, but has the most drone strikes under any presidency. Right. So Obama, who loves immigration, but yet deported more people than anybody else. I mean, he, he his record, uh, I mean, he makes Trump look like... Uh, like less of a deporter, but yeah. the difference is why he deported why them. He did it. That's, yep. that's the difference. Um, that, that reminds me of the other thing I was going to say about, about Biden is that I, I listened to one of his speeches yesterday or recently. And, and I think it comes out of his faith is he has signed some executive orders and is committed to uh, racial equality. And that was today. Yeah. Social justice. Um, yep. Sign some executive orders in terms of, and not just, you know, he supports Black Lives Matter, but I was glad to see his executive order today also uh, did to bridge the gap with indigenous folks. Yeah. yeah. Having worked with some of them in, in seminary, yeah. they're uh, oft forgotten minority in this country, working to bridge the gap with, you know, working with reservations and tribal councils to. Yeah do the for the good of all americans because they are americans they're sovereign nations but they're also americans and he kept um, saying counties or he kept saying states counties cities and tribes um and he kept saying tribes and um he also uh and we say today because we're recording this on the uh 26th uh but uh which is a tuesday but he he also uh signed into uh to law um that uh, a memorandum telling the government to stop contracting out to private jails, yeah, which was kind of funny when I heard that. It was like private jails, <laughs> like like the idea that a corporation could profit, yeah, private off of the incarceration of people. Very like, good, a very good uh, documentary called the Thirteenth. Yeah, about the Thirteenth Amendment about how, uh, especially, yeah, that's a moral issue. Private private prisons are profiting off not only the, the prison prison industry but primarily off the backs of brown and black people absolutely who by and large disproportionately get put into now yeah there's some white people who get put in there as well um and and there are always those people who say well more white people are in prison than black people but proportionately speaking for no <laughs> for population proportionally more black brown people go to by prison. far yeah by, by far, far. And if then the point of this documentary was if you look at the 13th Amendment, it ends slavery unless you're incarcerated. So basically, it lays out this argument that since the end of slavery in the 13th Amendment, the way for the continued use of slave labor of brown people was, well, you just put them in prison. You put because them in prison, prison yep. they lose all their rights. Right. As does anybody, but for for black and brown people, uh, when you're in, you know, if you, it, it basically incentivizes it incentivizes um, discrimination. 
Mm-hmm. You know, that that like, oh, well, we're going to pick you up on the least of charges. And, and, and if we can, we're going to throw the book at you because, um, you know, it benefits us. Now, it's not said that way. In in essence, that's the practice. Yeah, and that and that's and that I'm glad to see Biden's commitment to systematic racism and dismantling yeah. that. And in his vice president, as an example of that, choosing yeah. the first female uh, woman of color and woman of South Asian descent. I mean, that's a and that's first a cons- woman. First woman. That's yep. a, that's a legitimate concerted uh, uh, effort to live out that. Um, wanting to break down that systematic. I think I can. Yeah, for sure. And I think I can add to this because I don't think my wife will mind. Um, but we were watching the inauguration on, on January 20th and I just, you know, happened, you know, there was Kamala taking the oath and I happened to just look over to my wife and she had tears rolling down her cheeks, you know, like she's not one to show her emotions. You know her. She doesn't show her emotions. Uh, oftentimes you have it's hard to read where where she is on any given moment. But in this moment, it was very clear what this meant to her. And if it meant that much to her, what it meant to like all women across the board um, who had never thought in their lives that this was possible. Right. Yeah, ideally, like, you know, when we grew up in the 80s, we, we knew the possibility there could be a woman someday, but the likeliness was not there. Right. Um, no one thought a woman would get to this level. And let alone, here she is. Let alone a woman of color. Let alone a woman of color and a woman of South Asian. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, um, you know, it, it, you know, when I saw that and I knew it before I saw that, but, you know, it really kind of cemented for me the significance of her Biden picking her. And, and, the, and, fact that her. The, and the fact that the inauguration committee made a point of having uh, the young poet laureate. Oh, Amanda Gordon. Gorman. They oh. had um, they had the African-American, the first uh, African-American fire chief from Atlanta yep. who did the the. I forget what she did, but she did it in American Sign Language. Yep. There and was a very there was a concerted effort to put female voices. Yeah. J Lo. Uh and, and Lady uh, Gaga. Lady Gaga. Yeah. Lady and Gaga. Amanda Amanda Gorman, by the way, right after that poem, uh, I went on Amazon and and um pre ordered her her poetry book coming out in September. Uh so I have a long time to wait for it, but what a poem. Like if there's like there's somebody who's 22 years old and she captured the struggle and yet not the struggle, but the the success and victory and, and grand um, uh, the grand grandeur of of America, you know, like what makes America America is this yeah. right here, this that that we can go from being being a, a place that is less than ideal to a place that is more ideal will never be fully ideal because we live in reality. But, but this, this idea that we can progress, right. even if it's an inch at a time, we're progressing. Was it Lincoln that said, I forget what it said. I think it was Lincoln, but said a, a more perfect union, a yeah. more perfect union. Didn't say yep. a perfect union, a more perfect union. More perfect union. Right. I always like the Obama interview interview on Mark Maron's podcast says that, you know, as a president, you want to just to know that you moved the dial a little bit. A little bit. Yeah. If you've moved that dial a little bit, you've done your job. Yeah. Uh, and that's and I think that's the wisdom. And Obama understood that because he's Obama is actually really more progressive than Biden. But he picked Biden as his vice president to temper that because he had the wisdom to realize that you can't just push your way through. You have to be able to. In order to make lasting change, you have to you have to be able to work with people on on things. And you can argue where Obama may have succeeded or failed on that, but there were certain areas where he succeeded, largely in part because he had a Joe Biden on his side, and they were able to get stuff done to move the needle a little bit. And then, of course, as in all pendulums, that went back this way, and now it's going back this way, but hopefully a little bit further than it was in previous years. And, um, you know, that's the beauty of America and, um, it's, it's frustrating. It's a frustrating beauty, but it's, it's beautiful. 
So I think I think we talked about gracious transitions. Um, I think we did. You know, gracious transitions doesn't mean there aren't going to be um, things that stand in your way or that it's going to be an easy go. Grace um, may be free, but it's never easy. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. never cheap. <laughs> grace that isn't free uh, isn't grace. Right. And grace that is cheap isn't grace either. You know, like yeah. you, you accept it. You know, it's free. You accept it. But there's going to be a, a journey along the way. And um, that journey isn't always going to be easy. Yep. So rock on. Rock on. Well, talk about transitions. yeah, talk about transitions. So um, I guess that brings us to the conclusion of this this uh, podcast. Uh, for those of you who uh, who support us through Patreon, thank you. Uh, you have a video on the way uh, that will be released at the same time as this podcast. Do check it out. If you haven't supported us yet, why? For the for the cost of a espresso drink at Dunkin' Donut or a Starbucks, you can yeah. you can hear uh, hear and see bonus content. Yeah, and I'm 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 you know I'm I'm shaking. Sal and I are shaking our heads. Like, why? Why haven't you? Like, we just can't understand it. Um, you know, I actually believe it or not, there are people I support on Patreon because I appreciate you know what they do. And um, uh, it, do they require it for me to listen to their material? No. But their material is good, and I I like to support them, and hopefully you feel the same way about us. Uh, this is all done um, free, uh, but it isn't free to do. <laughs> uh, your your support on Patreon doesn't go to Todd or I; it goes to paying for our hosting fees and web website maintenance and all that stuff. So thank you for your support, those of you who are, and uh, those of you who aren't, uh, hopefully you will consider supporting us. But in the meantime, friends, remember, be excellent to each other. And don't be a jerk. Amen. Amen. Oh, and we'll have pictures of my new tattoo. Oh, yeah, and I'll have a picture of my new tattoo. And by the way, uh, I'm going for another one on Thursday. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Yay. Okay, so uh, be excellent to each other. Don't be a jerk. Rock on. Rock on. Rock on.